Hello, adoptees, friends of adoptees, family of adoptees, birth parents, adoptive parents, family, uh, everybody. It is uh, September 11th this morning. It's the morning of September 11th. It's uh, been 15 years now since the tragic events in New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania, and in America at large have occurred. Uh, A lot of reflection today, um, this morning, about that. Uh, Some of you guys, some of you younger listeners, uh, this is probably like an abstract concept to you, I guess. You know, people under probably the age of, of 20. It's been 15 years now, so you were like five. You probably weren't exactly online in your mind yet. Uh, but for many of us older than that, uh, it's a very real thing still. It, it certainly is for me. You know, I was in high school when this happened, unfortunately. Um, and I'm in New York as I'm recording this in the city uh, where it happened, where Ground Zero is right now, about 56 blocks up from, uh, from the memorial as it stands right now where currently they are continuing to read the 3,000 names or so of the people that passed on that day. And, you know, I, I got to say that that is, a, that is a day, a moment in history in America for me that will, that will live on forever. Um, again, I was, I was in high school. And I was growing up in in central New Jersey, um, which is not that far from New York. You know, it was probably about an hour drive, maybe an hour into the city. And yeah, a lot of friends and family uh, had had uh, family and and husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, relatives, friends that lived and worked in New York and lived and worked in in the World Trade Center in that area of New York. And it was a hectic morning. Uh, that morning, I was in Spanish class, and a fellow classmate from another class came in and said, uh, "We, were, I think we were taking attendance or going over the day's events." And she said, uh, "We got to turn on the television. There's some kind of national uh, crisis going on, or an accident has happened in New York, and a plane crashed into the one of the towers of the World Trade Center." And at the time, you know, it was the first plane. It was 8.46 in the morning. Um, everybody thought it was an accident. It was a, maybe a drunk pilot or, or something, just something horrible happened. Either way, you know, everybody, there were students who were rushing out of the classroom to go try and go down to the, the principal's office or the, the main administrative office to try and call their parents in the city who were working there that day. Um... And then the second plane hit, and we realized that this was not an accident. And the fate of the United States changed forever. And, and you know, this is before cell phones really were that big. Uh, So, and all the phone lines were tied up. The internet was not that fast, so we had to rely on the news to get any updates. And how surreal that was that day. So that inevitably changed everybody's lives. Um... I know it changed people's lives across the country and, and obviously across the world. It had geopolitical impact, as an event like that would. Uh, I read today that that was uh, the first time and only time so far that the 
Queen of England actually suspended the rules and had the band in England play the national anthem for the United States, which I guess they had never done. And in any case, uh, this is 9-11, 15 years later. I know it has painted the, the path for many of us, and for me in particular, I, I feel like it is, and many adoptees, um, this is the country that brought us in. This is the country, this is, I consider it my country more than anything else. Uh, certainly more than Korea. I know people like uh, fellow podcaster Zeke Anders, who's also a photographer and filmmaker, does the, uh, the CAD Diaries where he puts an adoptee between two flags, the American flag and the Korean flag, and you know they're free, the, the subject is free to pick which side or maybe half in, half out of what they identify with. Uh, it's been a complicated relationship uh, with this country and Korea for me, and I know for many adoptees, but on days like today, I'm 100% American. And I, I think that a lot of adoptees feel that way. You know, this is a nation of immigrants. Uh, no matter what people say or, or, or what kind of policy that politicians of certain ilk are going to try to put into place, this is a nation of immigrants. And we are, as adoptees, a part of that. So days like today really make me kind of reflect on those kinds of things and how much I truly love this country and how that, has, uh, that tragedy has kind of painted the path of my life and many adoptees' lives, like uh, what you'll hear today with my guest, A.J. Bryant, who is working internationally, has worked internationally. Um, and I know a lot of other adoptees, like Spencer Stevens, who's uh, volunteered his time and service and dedication to this country. I know there are a lot of adoptees who are doing the same thing. Regardless of what your political leanings are, uh, you know, I think there are many adoptees out there who are in government service of one way or another, and on days like today, I will absolutely salute you and your, and your sacrifice, because sacrifice in this country doesn't necessarily mean giving up your life. It could mean just giving up your, your time or you're whatever you were passionate about, what you thought your job, whatever you thought your life was going to be before something like that happened, and it changed us forever. Uh, with that, I will just say uh, that everybody here, you know, I, I think it's an abstract idea for some people who may not have been in the areas that were directly affected by 9-11, like New York and Pennsylvania and Washington, but we really should never forget we shouldn't. So take your time today and try to remember 9-11, where you were, if you can, if you weren't, and it is an abstract idea to you, just try to be respectful. All right, that's all I'm going to ask you to do. When they ask for a moment of silence, I, I ask that you give it without giggling at this idea that you, know, you may not have been online for yet. And really just reflect from time to time about the sacrifices that Americans are making every day so that something like that doesn't happen again. Because trust me, you don't want to live through it. I know this is a very serious intro. It's getting very long and drawn out. I'm sorry. So uh, after a quick moment here, we'll, uh, we'll get to the show.
with AJ Bryant, my first uh, Indian adoptee guest on the show. All right. Thanks, guys, and thanks for your time. AJ, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Are you go, so do you go by AJ? Um, I do. So my my given name is actually Adam uh, Adam Bryant. Samuel's my middle name. Joseph was the name I was born with in a hospital in India. Um, and uh, when I was maybe maybe fourth or fifth grade, there were like seven Adams in my class. That's a lot of Adams. And I said, you know what? It's time to, it's time to go by a different name here. <laughs> and so I, uh, I figured, well, I always kind of at, wanted Joseph to be one of my names anyway. It's not legally one of my names mm-hmm. because it's, you know, my Indian name. It's, it's my heritage, you know? And so, um, I just started calling myself AJ maybe in junior high i think actually oh wow okay when it started taking off and so basically most people call me aj except for my parents except when they're mad uh they call me aj (laughs) what that's funny because that's like the opposite of usually what happens with your parents (laughs) right right um yeah so that's uh so it's adam joseph samuel bryant it's pretty much the waspiest sounding name for a brown guy ever but um (laughs) You know, uh, India was ruled by the uh, by the British at one point, so I that guess that's true. Yeah. So. Yes, and and congratulations on being the first Indian adoptee that I've had on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm very I'm excited so, to have you here. It's like to blaze this trail for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you said your name, your Indian name was Joseph. I was like, that doesn't sound very Indian, but yeah. when you throw the British in the mix, it's, yes, it's, it makes so much more yeah, sense. Yeah, and it, and I was born in a Catholic hospital in the South. Okay. And the South is much more Catholic. Um, supposedly that that's where uh, Doubting Thomas the uh, St. Thomas came to Kerala, which is where I'm from, and uh, I've seen his grave and everything, and um, so it's it's highly Catholic area down there. So he, like, spent most of his life down in uh, southern India? I, I don't know about what percentage of his life he spent there, but um, I know he definitely was there for a number of years. It must yeah. have been a significant amount of time to have been buried down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right about that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I was born in a Catholic hospital in, uh, Kerala, which is the deep south of India. Um, and I came to the United States in 1980. Um, and I was adopted by a family in Wisconsin. Um, my parents, uh, I was their first child, um, biological or adopted. And, um, and then I have a brother and a sister also adopted from India. Uh, none of us are biological. We're mm-hmm. all from different parts. So, do you have any uh, biological siblings uh, that, uh, or bio- they, they, they have any biological children? I should say. Oh, they have no biological children. And I, um, we can get into this later. But you know, it's one of the main big questions for me has always been: Do I have biological mm-hmm. out there somewhere? Um, and it's something that. 
you know, every once in a while I think about it and it kind of blows my mind. Yeah. So, so yeah. I don't know anything about uh, Indian adoptees or Indian adoption sure. or, okay. or how big the population is or what the history of it is. Do you, right. do you know any uh, of that kind of stuff? <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a large scale, we don't have to go like, you know, <laughs> like really deep in the weeds. I want to say, you know, I actually don't know how many people came from India. Maybe 25,000. Okay. That's a pretty significant number. I want to say it is, but I, no, you know, don't quote me. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, I thought I saw that number written somewhere at one point, but okay. on the other hand, that seems really high because I don't know that many Indian adoptees and I don't think that's, they're that big of a population. Uh, Just because so you don't know them doesn't mean they're not out there. No, no, it's true. <laughs> it's true. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. Um, but I think it started in the 50s or 60s, like the rest of the international adoption mm-hmm. um, folks. And uh, yeah, so um, let's see. There was I've been in part of two groups that are Indian adoptee focused solely. Um, one was called Basie United Adoptees United, and that was um, a few years ago. Uh, people all over the country, you know, Florida, um, Michigan, Minnesota, of course, where all the adoptees are. Uh, <laughs> um, Wisconsin, uh, I want to say Seattle. They were all over Kansas City, maybe. That's like everywhere. Um, like yeah. all over the country. Yeah, all over the country. And we had two, I went to two meetings that we had, two meetups um, face-to-face. One was in Chicago and the other one was in Orlando. Uh, so those were interesting. And that was just about when I was starting to get into the international adoption community mm-hmm. um, and, and starting to become not an activist really, but starting to tell my story in a public way. Yeah. Um, and so... And then the other one that I'm in right now is called the Lost Saris, and uh, it's also across the country. They had a meeting here last year here in D.C., mm-hmm. um, and uh, I want to say there were maybe ten or eleven of us. So that was that was neat. I am um, I'm truly in the point like zero one percent though because I'm a male Indian adoptee, and there oh, yeah. are hardly any of us. Uh, so that's it. That's an, also an interesting kind of perspective that I bring to. Yeah. I feel like adoptees in general, like the male population is way outnumbered (laughs) by the female population. Um, which was fun, you know, less so when I was not married. Uh, my wife is like, so, uh, what other guys are going to be there? I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, well, there's this one guy, he might show up. Uh, (laughs) So are these like mostly like online groups and then they just have meetups and then, or are there any local kind of Um, Indian adoptee groups that are out there? There might be, I don't know about, I, the one, these two that I'm talking about are more Facebook online with, uh, an occasional, occasional, um, you know, a uh, face-to-face meetup kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So how do they organize the, like, the face-to-face meetups? Because I know, like, China's Children International, for instance, is an online group. Yeah. Uh, and they, like, haven't had those face-to-face meetings yet. And they're trying to figure out how do we get around to doing that? Do we have to raise money to do that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure I paid for all of my stuff. And nobody <laughs> paid for me. Yeah. Uh, we didn't fundraise. I, you know, I think we just – we had a the first one, the DAU group. We had a um, 
I think it was a Yahoo group. And we just emailed back and forth and said, look, uh, the people that were leading it said, okay, we've chosen a venue. Here are the dates. We've come up with those, you know, a little bit of itinerary. It's up to you to get here. But once you get here, you're not going to be bored kind of thing. I don't know. Um, And that's kind of what we did. So I kind of get off. I got on a plane, went to Chicago and think in 07 or 08. And I only knew one. I had only met one. Mm -hmm. And there were maybe 15 there. That's pretty good. That's a good group. So um, I was like, yeah, I have nothing to do. Chicago's fun. Like, if this is terrible, yeah. I guess I can just go up do my own thing. But it's true. It, it turned out, <laughs> yeah, it turned out to be great. So, um, uh, and then it kind of that group just kind of faded. Yeah. But the hard thing about these groups is, you know, nobody gets paid. Sure. And so everybody's lives get busier and busier. Get yep. married, have kids, whatever, and it's just hard to hard to keep those kind of things going and together and yeah it's just a matter like there are other priorities in people's right. lives and, totally right it's you know, totally. meeting up with strangers <laughs> in random cities might not occupy those top slots anymore <laughs> yeah exactly yeah right but it was like they had a functioning itinerary did they have like a conference space or anything or was it just no, like a very casual meetup like, kind of you know thing? we're gonna do hannah we're gonna go to an indian movie we're gonna go to an indian uh you know, some cultural thing, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to um, go to dinner, you know. Okay, uh, okay. We also just have time built in to, like, get to know each other and yeah. talk about stories and, um, you know, because I – and one of the things that I recognized was that for a lot of these people, they had not met a lot of other adoptees in general at all. Mm-hmm. And so it, the validation of the story and and being around somebody that really gets it is you know that's a really powerful thing, yeah. And yeah. so apart from the Indianness of it, that added another layer, of course. But just to be able to say, you know, I grew up in an all-white family, I grew up in an all-white community. You know, sometimes it was really rough, and everybody around the table is like, "Yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about." Yep. <laughs> and it's the first, and, and you know, for some of them, it was the first time they'd probably ever had that, and so yeah, yeah. that that was cool. And and when I first get started getting involved in the adoption community with adoptees, um, that was that was one of the draws for sure was to be able to feel like, you know, these people get it, and we're all, you know, you feel so isolated growing up sometimes. And even though I had siblings that were also adopted, we didn't really ever talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it was good to just meet people that you know had shared experiences and. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So you yeah. grew up in uh, Wisconsin. You had two other siblings also yeah. from India. I assume yeah. that you're, you were still the oldest. Yeah, yeah. They didn't adopt somebody older and like boot you down to middle no, child. No. <laughs> right. no uh, so I'm uh, nine months older than my sister mm-hmm. and my brother is five years younger than me. Oh, wow. So it's like a small gap and then a large gap. Yeah. Yeah. So were you um, stuck on like babysitting duty a lot of time when you got into like middle school? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, my, it's, my brother was a little mischievous, and, <laughs> but you know it's all good. Uh, I re- I clearly remember picking up my brother from uh, the airport in Chicago. Oh yeah, is that where you guys all came in through Chicago? We, we all came in through O'Hare. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've seen the pictures of me seeing my sister for the first time, but I don't consciously remember yeah yeah i think i was two when that happened so she's 
nine months younger than you, but she came over a little bit later. Like, like a year after I did or so. Okay. Yeah. But you um, consciously remember going to pick up your brother. Yo, yeah. I Yeah, totally. I remember, uh, you know, my mom. So my, my dad was <clears throat> in the area, quote, he was in uh, South Korea, and uh, he called the, the, um, the orphanage and said, hey, so I'm on at least not in the United States. I'm in your side of the world. Uh, what do you think if I swing by and and pick up uh, pick up my son and and meet you guys and stuff like that? And so he did. So he he flew into uh, into India and he went oh, to wow. he went to the orphanage before this is you know this is the early eighties before yeah. this thing was prevalent. And he you know he met the people and saw where my brother had been living and and they kind of you know they got to bond over the the trip back mm-hmm. um, and. and so much so that when my brother like got off the plane and saw my mom for the first time, he just like went crazy and just started screaming. He was, oh, he was no. my dad uh, but you know, it's fine. It, she got over that fast. But um, you know, so I remember you know being in school and her calling, or t- uh, getting the call, and they said, "Oh, you know, your brother and your dad are coming in tonight," and and then going to going to meet them driving there and going to meet them so so you all went as a family to meet your dad yeah. and your brother kind yeah. of come in that's that's awesome that your dad volunteered to do that because at the time i don't think that was like a requirement it wasn't no like, no it was not it was just the kind of thing like i want to see where my where my son is coming from and uh-huh. i want to you know make these personal connections and, and things like that yeah it was great and then they uh they were in tokyo or something for a day or two stuck in the airport with oh, a lamp yeah. and um so yeah, it, it, it turned out to be a great experience for for both of them. What was he doing in South Korea at the time? Um, I think he was preaching. Oh my yeah, dad, my dad's a minister. Okay, um, kind of a minister at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you know he writes books and he speaks in conferences and um, at that those kind of things. And every once in a while he goes overseas. Mostly it's domestic, but I'm pretty sure he was in uh, he was in Korea preaching somewhere doing some minister stuff yeah doing ministry yeah exactly <laughs> and what does your mom do uh my mom was a stayed home with a was a homemaker stayed home with us um you know i used to say she didn't work but uh i bet she worked hard <laughs> yeah but uh, you know you, you realize gosh she worked so hard uh no so yeah she was home raising mm-hmm. us um and uh supporting my dad and helping him out and uh it's it's kind of a small outfit so um, yeah, somebody's got to hold down the uh, the home yeah. front back there while right. you know dad's over there in south korea ministering. yeah <laughs> right exactly yeah <laughs> and then how was growing up in so you grew up like most of your life in wisconsin um yeah so uh i came in 80 i left in 91 okay that's a long time yeah um and then i was uh then my parents moved to new jersey mm mm-hmm. mhm um, which we talked about earlier. You're also, yeah. So you, you, uh, moved from which part of Wisconsin did you move from? I moved from Madison, Madison. So that's like yeah. a, I, I've, I've you, heard of Madison. That's like gotta be like a decent sized yeah, town I mean, or city. You know, it's, it's where the university is and mm-hmm. it's pretty, it's for Wisconsin, which you don't think of as culturally diverse in any way. <laughs> uh, 
it's pretty culturally diverse because of the university and there's lots of Indians people there because oh yeah they're all studying computers and that's a big computer school so oh all right um yeah IT and all that kind even of in the even in the late 70s and 80s well so here's a funny story so and, and when I think about this this kind of blows my mind um every Thanksgiving when I was in Wisconsin my mom would call like the graduate student office or something graduate affairs office at uw and say can you give me a name a list of indian students who are going to be around over the thanksgiving holiday really my, my family my husband and i have three indian children that we've adopted and we would love to have them for thanksgiving uh so they can experience an american thanksgiving as well as see you know some brown folks around the table uh -huh. and uh and we can see indians um, at our table and kind of get a little sure, bit yeah. or whatever. So growing up, I don't know how many years, maybe 10, all of our Thanksgivings are, uh, you know, one or two, maybe random family members, my, you know, my grandparents or something like that. And then a bunch of Indian graduate students. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. That's yeah. awesome that she had the, like the, the thoughts to do that. Like yeah, that's creative. No, great yeah it, it means a lot for sure that she would um have that kind of uh tr uh your that kind of thought about that and and just re being and recognizing that that's something that's really important mm -hmm. um even back then and and um so yeah it was it's really funny so they've they've actually stayed in touch with some of them oh really uh, one of them yeah one of them lives in new jersey he's married he's got a he and his his family came to Thanksgiving then at my house in New Jersey, you know, 25 years later or something like that. Wow. Um, in the last few years. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. So That's awesome. Yeah. Is he like a big computer scientist now working at like IBM or Google or something? He's not, he's actually, I think he's in pharmaceuticals. Oh really? So yeah. not computer science. Yeah, I think so. But I could be wrong about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was, so, you know, there was, uh, there was a there was a fairly large Indian student organization at UW, and mm -hmm. my parents would take me to uh, Garba, which is the dance with sticks. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't think so. We uh, need to talk looks, about it a little bit. It's, it, I mean, I'm not good at it. Um, and about talking at it or at Garba? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good. Uh, I'm not good at it. I've never. I've done it a few times. It's kind of complicated. It looks really cool if you're looking. If you're looking over it, because mm -hmm. everybody's in color and spinning around and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, so if you have like a bird's eye view, it looks a lot cooler than. So you should like YouTube videos of it. There's probably like a ton of like cool videos. Yeah. On it. How do right, you spell right. that? I think it's G A R B A. Okay, I'll have to look yeah. that up later because I bet that's awesome to watch. Yeah. So there was there was those kind of things, and there was. Um, you know, they would celebrate Diwali, of course, and some of the other uh, Hindu festivals and we would go and get food and, uh, my parents would buy us like Indian outfits and stuff. And, you know, we would wear those kind of things out and it, it, it was good. At one point we were finally like, okay, you know, enough of this. Too much. <laughs> uh, you know, at the point where you, you're a teenager kind of, or, or, you know, not maybe not quite a teenager, but old enough to realize like you want your own identity and mm -hmm. it feels like, 
this is kind of contrived and you know, you want to just kind of figure out who you are on your own. And yeah. yeah. And, and, and to my parents, <clears throat> to my parents credit, they never pushed us to do anything culturally to get in touch with our Indian roots at all. Um, past the time that we kind of decided that we, we didn't even really consciously say we didn't want to do it. They just could tell that we weren't interested weren't into in, it anymore. Yeah. And just kind of said, okay, you know, that, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. And they kind sure. of waited for us to either come back or to never get into it again. Mm. And I came back to it and, uh, my brother and my sister to varying degrees have as well, but not nearly like I have. And so, um, but it, you know, they didn't force it on us. And then for that, I'm, I'm really grateful. I mean, that's pretty awesome. It's extraordinary to begin with that your mother at that time, wanted to integrate you and, and to call people over right. to the house and for you to have those kinds of influences yeah. in your life. Because I think at the time, most adoption agencies, their narrative was you should, right. you should assimilate your kids. Yeah. Don't treat them any different than any other kid. Exactly. Just raise them as they're one of your own. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, most people grew up like, I, I think there was a, a, not like the wrong message. I don't think parents took, took it that way like negatively but they it turned out to kind of be like oh that means we should like whitewash their experience yes <laughs> instead and so it's awesome that you got that kind yeah. of experience and exposure to your culture very early on and they had the foresight and the wisdom to let you guys go off on your own and do your own thing once you got old enough yeah for sure and uh so there was also a group of there was a group of families that had all adopted from india in Madison, and we got together with them maybe uh, a handful of times a year. Mm -hmm. But one of the other funny things was that they had a Christmas party in Milwaukee every year, and it was from it was Indian adoptee uh, adopted families from all over the state. Mm -hmm. And so there were I don't know maybe a hundred or two hundred or something. But they had an, they they had an Indian Santa Claus. <laughs> Is that the one thing you remember is this Indian Santa Claus and uh, this yeah, huge gathering of adopted? Yeah. yeah, I remember being terrified of an Indian Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think Santa, as a kid, Santa's yeah, a little bit right, frightening to begin with. Terrifying. Yeah, now he's like this brown guy and you're like, what is going on? Who is this dude? He doesn't look like any guy at a mall I've ever seen. Yeah, Exactly. You're like, um, nope, there was a bait and switch here. Yeah, right. Uh, so I do rem I remember that. And, you know, of course, we have pictures of all the kids screaming when they met. <laughs> That's Santa for the first time. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it might have been a Holt thing. My brother and my sister came through Holt. Okay. I came through Lutheran Social Services. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and it might have been a Holt thing. I don't remember. But it, I just know it was big and uh, it was, I mean, it was something we looked forward to every year because, you know, folks in way up north or something, we didn't. We didn't go up there or anything. We, we, <laughs> they came down to, you know, we went down to Milwaukee and, and saw them. So Yeah, yeah. And then you moved to uh, Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. Yes, Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. Kind of north central. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe uh, 30 minutes outside of Jersey City West. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. yeah. It's off of what, 78 you said? Off of 78, yes. Yeah, yeah. And what's, um, what prompted the move to New Jersey? My dad's kind of ministry. He thought he, want, he wanted to be closer to New York City. and Oh, yeah? Yeah, the, more the diversity and just the 
numbers of people and stuff like that. So Well, that is true, I think, compared to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because my elementary school in Wisconsin had a handful of minorities. Mm-hmm. Me, my brother, my sister. <laughs> and then they were like, I don't know, maybe like two others. more. Uh, and then the rest were white, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. corn-fed boys and girls. And, you know, it was probably, I want to say there was like 900 or a thousand. And so, you know, we were in the significant minority. Yeah. Yeah. You're like the point oh 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 one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so then we, you know, we go to Jersey and my sixth grade class has, you know, 20-something different nationalities in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, whoa, this is crazy. So uh, how was that adjustment for you? I, You know, it was interesting because I, I wasn't really, I still, at that point, I wasn't, I wasn't really um, identifying as Indian. Mm. I was just like, look, man, I just want to fit in. Like, I don't want to rock a boat here. Like, they always, they all thought that because I was from Wisconsin, I was dumb and poor. <laughs> oh, God. And, uh, and, you know, um, they of course got over that, but it, it was hard at the beginning. You know, it, it's just such a very, it's such a different place. It's like a new planet right? yeah. for both my parents and for us. You know, we're used to wide open spaces. You mm-hmm. hardly can see the sky. There's trees everywhere. You know, all these kind of things, the pace of life, uh, everything's so much more expensive. Nobody has time for anything. Yep, that um, is true. You know, and so, uh, and then of course we didn't know that everybody goes on vacation on the East Coast in August, and that's when we moved. Oh, so, so there was nobody there. Kids, except for me and my brother and my sister, we're just like hanging out. Oh yeah, summer long, but never <laughs> seeing anybody else, and it just was kind of like a rude awakening to like our new life and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when we first, then, then we went to school, it's not like we'd been hanging out with those kids all summer and had a, a little bit of a relationship. Yeah. It was like, we went to school, we met a bunch of people that we'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was also difficult. Yeah, I mean, moving is hard for anybody. You, yeah. you were probably like, what, 12 at the time or something? Yeah, 12, 13, yeah, it's awful. I mean, that's like the worst time to <laughs> uproot a kid. <laughs> and then bring him to, you know, you already had one culture shock, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The other thing was that uh, it was middle school was sixth, seventh, and eighth in New Jersey. Yes, yep. In Wisconsin, it is. I was done. I was getting. I was going to go to um, like high uh, school. Yeah, or no, sorry, middle school. Uh, I went. I essentially went backwards. I stayed in elementary school when I went to Jersey. But in if I had stayed in Wisconsin, I would have gone to middle school in sixth grade. Oh, Wisconsin, okay. But Jersey was still elementary school in sixth grade. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. Is that right? Well, I felt like I went backwards in terms of like where I was going. I was not, mm. I was still in the elementary school. I was not in the... In the middle school. In the middle school. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's so... Rough. Yeah, it, that was also another rough thing about it, for sure. You were, like, all pumped to go to middle school, and then it was like, nope, yeah, elementary so that's, school. Yeah, dude. right, right. I've got to, like, maneuver around, like, first graders in the hallway, and I'm like, what is what is happening right now? <laughs> Get out of the way, kid. 
um, yeah, so that that was rough. Um, well, how did your then, younger siblings deal with all the uh, the moving and everything? Were they all yeah, right with it? No, I mean none of us were okay with it. You <laughs> know, come we home and we're like, that was it, weird. It, yeah, it was weird. It was hard. It took us all a long time to adjust. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, at least two years, I want to say. Wow, that is a long time. Yeah. So uh, what was the uh, what were the impediments to adjusting uh, over that time? I mean, I, I just think it was just such a strange place for us, and yeah, it was hard to make friends, and you know that's. At that age, you know, everybody's got a that's a that's a really clickish clickish age, and so we're trying to break into anything, and you know, nobody really is interested in like having a new person. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and so there's a lot of coming home and being like, I have like one friend, and uh, this is not, you know, I have no community anymore. And, well, how was the school system set up? Because, like, in Hillsborough, we had, like, five elementary schools because it was a pretty big town that funneled yeah. into one middle school and one high school. So it was, like, everybody was trying to kind of – once you got to middle yeah. school, everybody was trying to figure out yes. everybody else. That's, that's was exactly. Berkeley Heights the same way? Yes. It was – I think it was three elementary schools into a middle, middle school and then uh, that middle school and – oh, well, actually, so my high school was a regional high school. Oh, so that had kids from like Summit. <laughs> not no, not Summit, but like Mountainside. I don't, I don't know where that is. Yeah. I guess it's by Berkeley Heights, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of like it's on twenty Route Twenty Two. It's kind oh of yeah, Twenty Two. Okay, like Westfield, I think. Yep. I, like, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was another thing. You know, was none of the, nobody knew those kids. Well, yeah, because they're like completely yeah. estranged right. <laughs> as far yeah. as school systems go. Exactly. Exactly. So that was weird. Um, Did you end up making friends with any of those kids? You were like, I'm alone too. Uh, well, um, not, by that not, time, you already had your friends. Yeah, not great. I mean, you know, I ran track with some of those guys, but mm-hmm. I was never never super close with them. Because to get there, you need to be able to drive. Yeah, that's true. You know, so you, you know and my parents weren't going were gonna to necessarily drive me down to hang out in the mountainside all the time. <laughs> When I could like ride my bike and hang out with a bunch of people in Berkeley Heights, you know, so yeah, um, yeah, so it was it was kind of segregated in that way. Yeah, so we all got cars and you know then did whatever. But yeah, I know my dad uh, once once I had the freedom and I had a car, but it was like I never see you anymore. Like you got right. that car, it's like yeah, because I can go to like New Brunswick or different right. places. Right, now. That, <laughs> I'm not limited yeah. to this. So when did you? How did you finally like start to make friends after those two years? Did you just I mean, adjust I, so to I made, everything? I made like – well, actually one of my best friends to this day, I made him – he and I met in sixth grade mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, we stayed super close and through him I met a bunch of other people and then, you know, there was a youth group at my church which was in New Providence right down the street and so okay. I met a lot of people through that and uh, I did track and so I met guys through that mm. and girls through that and – um, uh. Just being out in the neighborhood, eventually playing football, playing basketball, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, so you're a pretty athletic guy. Just yeah, I mean, I, all you know, sports. Yeah, I love sports. I, I, um, like you just now. I was watching the Olympics. I'm a huge Olympics guy. So I love the Olympics, yeah, I love them. I love them too. Um, I watched like a hundred hours the last Olympics. I think actually, that's a lot of Olympics. <laughs> yeah, like I'll watch anything. I don't care. Like it doesn't matter. Um. What what sport it is? I just love the competition. I love the stories mm-hmm. behind the stories. 
um, it's the journalist in me and, uh, yeah, just, I think it's great. Well, so, okay. So we'll get into yeah. that. In a yeah. Little yeah. Bit. So you, how was high school for you in Jersey? High school was fine. You know, um, there were a few other Indians in my high school and, but the, you know, so I guess this gets into a, a bigger discussion, but Indians haven't really understood what to do with me for like my whole life. <laughs> right. So like in what way, what does that well, mean? You know, so, okay. So I, you know, I have brown skin. My name doesn't sound Indian. Uh-huh. Parents are white. My mom's blonde. You know, I was raised in a church. I'm Christian. Uh, my friends were not Indian for the majority of my life, not uh, until yeah. the twenties or something did I start getting Indian friends. So, you know, I don't speak any of the languages. I didn't mm-hmm. grow up eating the food. I didn't grow up going to temples. I didn't grow up surrounded by Indian, you know, that's a tight knit community. Yeah. Yeah. Not part of it really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I meet Indian people, um, who are from here, or from India, it doesn't matter. They have a bunch of different assumptions about who I am and what I think that just are apparently not true. But, <laughs> but you know, they don't ask me any questions. They just assume all of these things. Right, yeah. And so they assume, you know, well, I don't speak the language, so I must, you know, hate my culture. Or mm. my parents really suck and never bothered to, like, to teach me it. Yeah, so, yeah. But that's both of those are not true. You know, like <laughs> I love my culture, but my parents don't speak the language either, so it's not like they're going to teach me exactly. Um, and uh, you know, so things like that. And you know, I don't speak the language. I didn't grow up with the food. I didn't grow up at those going to those cultural events mm-hmm. like they did, where you know they see each other every weekend, and then you know they have dinner with families, you know, two or three times a week or whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um. I didn't have any of that. And so they they look at me as if I'm basically white with brown skin, which is mm-hmm. kind of how I look at myself. But at the same time, they're always hoping to get more out of me that like somehow like, you know, we're we're still we're actually you know, we're still all Indian and so I have this secret, you know, <laughs> uh camaraderie or kind of thing with them that yeah. I just don't have and that I can tell sometimes they feel like I've let them down in our interaction because they're mm-hmm. excited to talk to somebody that looks like them and then they realize like they might as well just be talking to like some random white dude on a park bench because yeah. that person just doesn't connect with them really at all. Have you ever had a negative interaction where they're being overtly mean? Like I don't know if you had an experience like this where they're like, you're not a real Indian. Oh yeah, dude. I so I've had so many. So I'll give you I'll give you a great one that I've used in a, a bunch of different settings. When I was in college at, at University of Delaware, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but there was a, there was an Indian Student Association there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, um, early in a in like a college year, like the September month, usually they have those like campus fairs. Yep. Where you walk around, it's a lot of Greek stuff, and then all the campus organizations, whatever. You sure. sign up and, you know, you put a number down and they call you, whatever. So I, I signed up for the Indian Students Organization. I think I had, I put my legal name, Adam, just because that was my name and, you know, the dorm room and all that kind of stuff. And right, yeah. This is before cell phones, so this is like the dorm number and everything. 
And so I wrote, you know, Adam Bryant and I wrote my name and said, you know, please call me. Definitely interested in hearing more. So, you know, a week or so rolls by and... Uh, no phone call? Well, no, no. So I get a phone call and it's this, you know, it, it's late at night. It's like 1030 and my voice is deep and it, night, at night it gets much deeper. And so I pick up the phone. It's like, you know, six octaves lower than it is right now. And, uh, and this, it's this girl on the other end of the line, clearly Indian girl. She has an accent. And, I don't know. She has some... You know, her name's like Priya or something. Very typical Indian uh-huh. uh, Indian name. And she says, hi, I'm looking for Adam. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, this is me. And and she, uh, she like pauses, hesitates. And then she's like, <laughs> um, you you signed up for the Indian student organization. I see that you, you signed up. You're interested in, in learning more about the Indian student organization. I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear more. Um, what, what can you tell me? And she says, well... Um, I think I think you should know that uh, that it's it's pretty much all Indians, <laughs> like like real Indians, like Indian Indians, <laughs> like people with Indian names, like Upar <laughs> or something. Uh, and um, and I was like, well, actually, I'm Indian. Uh-huh. And she didn't know what to say, and she she just hung up the phone. She hung up on you after you told her that you're an Indian. <laughs> I was like, actually, I am Indian. And she's like, oh, uh, uh, and then just click. Oh, my God. I was like, okay, well, I'm not interested in joining the ISA. Well, so much for that. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I've had I've had experiences like that. You know, another time I, I went to buy um, Indian cheese, paneer. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. yeah. cottage cheese. So I, I walk into this store and. Uh, I was going to make some sog paneer, Indian spinach, Ooh, cheese yeah. dish. Yeah, love that stuff. And and so I walk in, there's tons of different brands, and I've never bought it before. Mm-hmm. And so I say to the guy, like, what's the best brand here? I, you know, there's so many, I don't know. And he looks at me, he's like, aren't you Indian? Like, <laughs> uh, yes. Can I not ask a question? Is that is that illegal? I just want to know what your favorite brand yeah. is. Right. Okay. Fine. So he looks at me. He's like, "Aren't you Indian?" I was like, "Yeah, I am Indian." He's like, "Well, don't you know about paneer?" And I'm like, "I mean, I know that it's good, and I know what it looks like, but is there any differences? I don't know. I don't know." Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, "You know, I don't feel like when people say, where are you from?' To me, it's never. And I say, "Oh, I'm from Wisconsin." They say, "No, no. Where are you really from?" I say, "Oh, mm-hmm. I'm from New Jersey." They say, "No, no, no. Where are you really from?" I say, "Oh, I'm from overseas." So, you know, in a conference that I went to many years ago, we called that the narrative burden. This idea that, like, most people, you ask them where they're from, they give you an answer, fine. Yep. You, you know, you know you probably, most people don't even care, right? It's just something you ask. Small talk. Me, yeah, it's a small talk, right? But for me, it's like, how many layers do I have to unravel for you oh, to yeah. get to where you want? And it's, at some point, it's like, well, I don't owe you anything. Mm-hmm. But then at the other the other coin is that other half no, the side of that coin is that then they assume because you're not answering that you're just kind of like a prick, right? <laughs> so you're kind of damned if you do, damned if yeah. you don't. You know, like you're telling your story it takes ten minutes when they really just said like where are you from, or you're like oh I'm I'm from blah blah, blah. and they say where are you really from? You say you just keep repeating it over and over again. They just give up and they go away, and then you're not talking to them anymore. So uh, yeah. um, that kind of thing happens pretty mm-hmm. frequently as well. And uh, 
I think most adoptees go through. Something. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, just sometimes I just like I'll own the prickness. I'll be like, yeah, right. I'll, I'll, you want me to be a prick? I'll yeah. be your prick. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So where are you from? It's like, well, where is any man really from? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> They'll be like, who's this weirdo? <laughs> I'll be like, mm, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Revel exactly. in it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like smoke a pipe. Like, yeah. Uh, We're gonna yeah. get really philosophical. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Those kinds of it, it's small things. I remember I was waiting on the. I don't know if I've ever told the story on the air. Maybe. But I was waiting at the train station in New Brunswick one time to go into the city. And uh, this one guy was asking everybody for like the time or something like that, going okay. down the platform. And everybody's yeah. like, I don't have the time out. Yeah, you yeah. know, they're all in their own world. They're like, right. don't bother me. <laughs> and he gets to me and he's just like, instead of asking, do you have the time? He looks at me and says, do you speak English? Uh-huh. And I was just like, no, no English, no English. <laughs> and I just like waved my hand at him and he like moved on. Yeah. And then my cell phone rang and I was like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> And he just, like, he was about to ask the next guy for the time, and he just shot this look at me. And I was like, you're the one who made the assumptions, yeah. bro. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I have the time. It's on my cell phone. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, he, that like, kind was of thing beside himself. Crazy. Yeah. I was like, why would you stop and ask some, like, especially in a place like New Jersey, where you're well aware of how diverse the population is. Sure. If they speak English. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. You know, I've had conversations with people about, you know, how upset they should get about that kind of thing. Mm, yeah. And it's, you know, for the most part, I would say 95% of the time, I'm pretty gracious about it. You know, yeah. I don't I don't give people crap. Like, look, you know, whatever. It, there's more energy for me to, like, explain how you're, like, actually doing something wrong or mm-hmm. something that's offensive on my end than just letting it go you know sometimes i'll call you out on but most of the times i'm not going to and yeah depends on what kind of day you've had yeah right yeah totally exactly right if i've already had to honk my horn driving like eight times and you ask me if i speak english i might just give you a really crappy answer yeah but um you know normally i'm gonna be like yes whatever you know so Mm -hmm. so you said you had mentioned that you uh picked up journalism as your topic of study in college yeah, well, I was a journalism minor. I did um, work for the, the school newspaper, The Review. So I was, I was a, a roving reporter for them, and, and that was fun. I really enjoyed it. I love writing. And so I did a story on uh, Blood Diamonds that freaked everybody in my campus out. That was nice. Way, way before that kind of stuff even was known. Before yeah, way the before, Leo movie? Yeah, before the movie came out. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is back when... People were still getting their you know, limbs chopped off by you know, Charles. Oh Taylor. yeah, yeah. And people had no idea, and they were like, "Did my like engagement ring like fuel some despot and like Africa?" Oh, like, yeah, might have. And they were like, "Oh." <laughs> well, so what was your major of journalism? Was so, your minor? I was a poli poli sci. Okay, I was a poli sci major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. yeah. I feel like it's kind of one of those things. Like, well, now what? Um, <laughs> Well, I feel like if you that combination is pretty interesting, like a poli sci journalism major. Yeah, you can sure. Go into some right. pretty awesome reporting. If you, if you yeah, yeah, it. yeah, totally. Well, you know, I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. That was kind of my oh yeah. That was kind of my end goal, and then I, I got my first like paid newspaper gig in Berkeley Heights with one of the um you know the, the small local paper. You know, getting paid like twenty five dollars per story, so I could work on a story for a half hour get paid 25 or I could work for 10 hours and get paid 25. 
here you go. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know that I really want to be doing this. <laughs> you know, you got to pay your dues, right? Sure. You got to be in a place like that for a few years. And I yeah, was like, yeah. no, if I didn't, if I wasn't living at home, I'd be living under a bridge. Like I can't, how on earth would I, would I make that work? Yeah. Not the most glamorous uh, no. lifestyle. And so, you know, I, I came to my editor and said, after a year, I said, you know, Look, I love writing, but I don't. I'm not. I can't pay my dues in this. I'm going to pay my dues in something else. So, what'd you do after the paper? Well, so that's when I decided it's time to move to Washington D.C. Okay. And so I came down here in 2005. Mm-hmm. I moved in a neighborhood called Mount Pleasant, Upper Northwest D.C. Okay. Um, fun neighborhood has changed a lot in the last ten years. Gentrified a lot, but when I came, it was. It wasn't dangerous, but it wasn't the safest place. Um, it was no Georgetown. No, it was definitely not any Georgetown then or now. It had great parties. It's a great vibe. I've heard that there are more uh, former Peace Corps in Mount Pleasant than anywhere else. Oh, really? Either the United States or maybe even the world. I mean, every party I went to, I met like five Peace Corps people. <laughs> and, it, you know, the thing about D.C. is it's full of kind of overachiever type A's, right? Mm-hmm. And so you either like really get your stuff in gear or you like go into a hole and you kind of pretend that you, you know, that you can't do this. And so I was meeting people who were like, oh, you know, what do you do? That's everybody asks what you do here. And, you sure. know, you ask them, they're like, oh, well, I did Peace Corps in, you know, Vanuatu. And you're like, wait, what? Vanuatu? Say <laughs> And then they're like, oh, it's a, you know, it's an island in the Pacific. And you're like, oh, okay. Oh, and then yeah. they're like, oh, and then I, you know, then I came then I came home and I started a nonprofit working with like, you know, sex traffickers in like Mexico where you're like, how old are you? And they're like, oh, I'm 24. And you're like, oh, I've, uh, let's see. So, um, uh. <laughs> yeah, they're all like Fulbright scholars yeah, working on their yeah, third like, master's like, degrees. So I, yeah, I've done nothing. All right. <laughs> but, it, you know, but it, so it's inspiring, right? You, mm-hmm. you realize that like you can do anything and, and, you're around people who have done really amazing things and are doing amazing things. And so I just, I loved it and I love it still. And so, yeah, I, uh, so I moved to, moved to DC, 05, started working for a web technology company that was doing internet mapping before Google Maps. Oh, okay. Nav Tech and there was mm-hmm. another company. So it was this company that was, that was trying to integrate realtor listings with digital mapping. I was their uh, marketing coordinator, mainly because I was the only one that could actually talk to anybody. Uh, the other ones were just like... It's the only one with social skills. Yeah, yeah, they were just... I mean, they were brilliant, but I, they just could not hold a conversation. Sure, yeah. And so you know, they would trot me out at these conferences outside the tent to get everybody inside the tent to hear the tech stuff, which then I would leave because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Uh, but you yeah. did your part yeah you know i wrote the press releases and yeah exactly so i did that and then i was uh i i, I raised money for gw uh george washington university and their annual fund and mm-hmm. so where'd you go from there so i went to uh, i actually went to grad school okay i went to i did a master's in uh, international peace and conflict resolution this is at george washington university naturally <laughs> No, actually, it, it wasn't. <laughs> no, no. I um, I went to another private school in D.C., American University. Okay, yeah. So I was there 2008 to, to 2011. I finished 
And it, it was a good experience. I really enjoyed it. There's kind of a big continuum in, in the peace and conflict resolution field between kind of like your, you know, more hippie kumbaya folks and people who are like, okay, like, peace is great. And like, you know, we're for nonviolence, but like, we take realistic views on, you know, foreign policy and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of somewhere in the middle there. And I've tried to stay kind of in that middle spot since. But it was good. You know, the professors are great. And I had a good experience. I made a lot of really good friends. And uh, I was able to go to India. Did you and, choose to go to India? Yeah. So, you know, everyone was doing internships, like the World Bank and stuff. And I was yeah. like, well, yeah. I, I worked full time my entire time. I was a vehicle dispatcher for the National uh, Oceanic Administration uh, NOAA, where the National yeah. Services. Yeah, I basically, if you wanted to get a vehicle, you called me and I would sign you out for a government vehicle, or whatever. It was a perfect job because I did all of my schoolwork at the desk. Nice. I didn't do any schoolwork at home. There you go. Uh, I went to my boss and said, "Do you care?" He's like, "As long as like these vehicles don't crash and the work gets done." <laughs> I was like, "Well, I have nothing to do with them crashing, but you know, whatever." Um, <laughs> He's like, as long as the work gets done, do whatever you want. And so I was like, okay. Nice. So, yeah, I wrote my papers. I did everything there. I got paid a nice salary, way better than a non-paid internship like yeah. all my friends had. And so, uh, so, but then I was like, whoa, whoa, I don't actually have an internship. I haven't done anything in anywhere near my field. So I was like, well, I want to go back to India. So, um I, the first time I went was, was 2001, and I went with my whole family, which I'll get back to in a second. But I went in 2011. I was Googling one night. Uh, I wanted to work with kind of the untouchable, marginalized populations there. Mm-hmm. I Googled this. uh was Googling, found this organization called the Dalit Foundation, D-A-L-I-T. <laughs> I emailed them and said, look, uh, I'm an Indian adoptee. You know, I'm, um, I've always been interested in these issues. I'm in grad school, finishing up last semester, blah, blah, blah. If I, you know, pay for everything and, uh, can I come and volunteer with you guys for six months? And they said, yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> great. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so I, I said, okay, fine. So I, you know, I went to AU and said, look, I'm going to go to Delhi. I'm going to go work with these people. They said, okay, great, fine. Then I got on a plane and I went, but before I left, I realized that I had not, I had one letter from the like executive director saying like to my university saying, yes, he's going to be here for six months. I didn't have a place to live. I had never talked to anybody. (laughs) I was like no logistical planning. I had never talked to a single person there on the phone. I had only emailed this person and I kept calling him a her and it turned out to be a she. And, uh, or a, a him, and it turned out to be a she when I met her. And, like, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know where it was in Delhi. It, did yeah. you have an address? So you get no, the... I mean, I did, and, but then I realized I had no idea, like, how to figure that out. And, yeah, it was... So you just got on the plane, and you were like, this is it. I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you got, like, your little rolly bag with you, and you're like, six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is either going to be the greatest decision of my life, or... I am gonna, or I'll be back home in a week. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, and so you know, I we land in Delhi, 
and everybody pulls out a cell phone and immediately in their whatever language is like talking with somebody and I was like I don't even know where I'm staying. I have nobody to talk to. Did you like did you at least have the executive director's number? Did you have her number or anything? Um I got it, but I didn't have it then. I emailed from like the, you know, business center or whatever and realized like, oh I actually don't have your number. Can you send it to me? Um what did you yeah. do like so did they get back to you within a reasonable amount of time or were yeah, you like yeah. at well, the so, airport well, for like, hours yeah I, you know I, I was like well I'm just gonna hang out in the hotel I gotta get used to this jet lag can thing anyway um, I'll hang out here for a day or two I was in downtown Delhi and I'll you know just wander the streets and uh, what's going on and yeah they got back to me within a day and like oh yeah I called this number and then they're like oh call this guy he's actually also an intern and he'll help you out and so he and I became like best friends he's nice. from Canada and so then he showed me the ropes and he helped me find a place to live. Okay. And so it got all, it, you know, it got sorted out within seven to 10 days, maybe. But, <laughs> so it all worked out eventually. <laughs> but yeah, it was a little hairy there for a little while. Yeah. Well, how, how was it there in Delhi for the next six months? Like, what was your experience spending? Is this, so you mentioned you went in 2001 with your family. Yeah. Is that okay, just like so, a short sightseeing thing? No. So. Growing up, okay, so growing up, the, the kind of family dream was all five of us would go back to India. Uh-huh. So, you know, we got to get to, my parents wanted us to get to a, an age where we could really appreciate it. You know, that's not a cheap trip. It's not like they want to, you know, we don't want to be going when we're three years old and like can barely remember anything and right, spend yeah. thousands of dollars going to India. So we went when I was a junior in college. Okay. And so when I went back to India in 2001, that really actually just changed the whole trajectory of my life because that's really the, the time that I started to become uh, proud of who I was as an Indian person, mm. as an Indian adoptee. And so I, I went there. We went to – we visited my brothers and my sister's orphanages. They actually came from the same one. My brother's picture was still on the wall. Oh, Wow. We met people that remembered them when they were there as kids. We went out to lunch with them. They were telling mm-hmm. us stories. Um, you know, it's just this highly emotionally intense experience. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we walked, we were walking on the streets and like we walked into this, my brother had a camcorder. We walked into this electronic store and there was like a, a little kid that was outside and we came back out and the, the kid is dead and like, what? You know, he was clearly dying, like, as we were getting in there and, like, died when we were there. Like, just like, you know, it just like, kind of blows your mind. And, and you know, the, the thing that, you know, we kept coming back to is, like, why me? Like, that could have been me, right? Like, why, yeah. how did I end up where I am with all the, with everything in the world, like, wealthier beyond imagination in terms mm-hmm. of opportunity and, um, and love and all of these things. And, and, you know, and yet here's this kid who is, is dot, you know, just died like on the street, nobody around him, nobody even recognized. You know, it's just like, and the answer is that there is no answer, right? You just kind of, this is, this is the way it is. And, um, but, but coming on, but for me, it was uh, a moral imperative. And that was to use, the opportunity, the position that I've been given because I came out of that 
to then always work to make India a better place. And that became kind of my, like an unofficial mantra of my life. Mm. And so the, the trip, we were there for, I want to say five or six weeks. We're wow, traveling that's a long all, time. We're traveling all over the place. And my parents, my parents had visited there in the late 70s and had a lot of friends. And so we visited some of their friends that they hadn't seen in a long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did a fair bit of sightseeing. But then we went to visit, you know, my dad's name is on a cornerstone of a church in South India somewhere. And we went to see that. And uh, we stayed in, like, dorms. And we stayed in nice hotels. And we... We're on a houseboat and, you know, we got all sorts of amazing experiences and really got in touch with our roots in ways that, you know, I think from my parents' point of view, they could have never asked for it to be any better than, than what happened. Yeah. Um, and all of us kind of fell in love with our birth culture in a whole new way. Um, and I really verbalized that in ways that my brother and my sister did not hmm. coming, going forward. Um, and so, uh, I went, so then when I, I came back and I was just like starving for, to get Indian culture. And so I started reading Indian books. I started watching movies, not just kind of the goofy Bollywood dancing stuff, but like the historical, you know, who's Gandhi, who's Nehru, who are, you know, who are the giants of the history and, mm. and that kind of stuff. And then, um, trying to start going to cultural events. But, but, and then I, I ran into the same problem that I'd always had, which is I'm Indian, but I'm not really. And so I wasn't really, I wasn't actually making any friends. So I would go and I would feel this great affinity towards the land of my birth and my, this culture and everything. But then I had no, I had no physical, I had no um, personal connections with it. Right. Yeah. And so it was just like this really frustrating thing that my heart was just like, this is, this feels so me. Mm-hmm. And nobody was validating that. That was Indian at all. Right. Right. And so then I was like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Until um, you decided to move there. So, you know, from 2001 to 2011, I always said, okay, I want to go back and live as an adult, you know, without the folks and, and see what this is like and really get in touch with my roots. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe try and find my, birth parents or something out you know mm-hmm. those kind of things but sure and so that was kind of that was kind of the goal and then grad school the opportunity presented itself and i was like yeah i'm doing this i'm gonna mm-hmm. save up a bunch of money so i don't have to worry about money when i'm there and i'm just gonna do it and i'm gonna immerse myself and and then that's what i did so i lived i lived on the top floor of a of a house there were three other early 20s indian guys culturally indian all went to school together. They like adopted me as one of their own. We hung out like every night. They taught me cricket. They taught me all sorts of things. You know, we just had a great time and we stay in touch now. They're all married. They're different parts of India. We stay in touch over Facebook and stuff. And I can't express how grateful I am to them specifically for just letting me just explore everything with them. They, you know, they had thousands of questions for me, of course. And yeah, they thought my story was fascinating, and um, had any of them spend any time in the U.S. or anything? No, or so not, you were like your their outlet to that, right? Exactly. Other than Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, it, yeah, none of them had had, uh, had been in the United States at all. And so, uh, yeah, it was it was just really it was a lot of fun. And when I was there, India won the Cricket World Cup 
2011, nice. and that was insane. That was just totally insane. The whole country celebrating. The whole country just went nuts, and so I was partying with those guys, and um, and that was great. And so the work was the work was really interesting. It was intense. You know, I saw some things I wish I had never seen in terms of human rights violations and and just like heartbreaking stuff. Yeah. But all of that was tempered by the fact that there was a woman in the NGO that I worked with who is now my wife. Right. And she was my unofficial translator and my coworker. Her name mm-hmm. is Sesmita. And uh, we met in a, a workshop there that wasn't in Delhi. It was outside of Delhi. And I didn't even know that she worked for this organization because she was a field worker. And she had been out in the field, you know, organizing self-help groups for women and atrocity prevention and all these kind of things. Yeah. Rocks, doing rock star stuff in villages all throughout India. And then we met at this workshop where she kind of translated me for me for the day. And then I went back to Delhi and she came into the office a few days later and said, you're sitting in my chair. I said, wait, what are you doing here? She's like, oh, I live here. And I was like, wait, I don't understand. And then she's like, oh, I've been in the field. And, you know, then we started talking. We went out for ice cream, you know, every day because it's like 120 degrees. And so <laughs> yeah. Try and eat ice cream as much as you can. But then that's how it really started. And then I had been working on her desktop at work and I had been blogging and she took back her desktop and moved somewhere else. But she, unbeknownst to me, she found my blogs, put them on a flash drive and took them home. And (laughs) what was your blog on at the time? I mean, it's it's about my experience, you know, just living in India as an Indian adoptee. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so she went home and read for like six hours my my blog. Just read your life. And read my life and came back to me the next day at work and said, uh, you know, can I, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, of course. And she said, you know, she said, I've been reading your blog all night and <laughs> um, I think you need me in your life. Wow, what was it? What was your reaction to I mean, that? What, 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 did, what can my reaction possibly be other than really silence? Right? What do you say to that? Right? I have no uh, wh- idea. What? <laughs> uh, I was like, well, okay. Uh, I don't know. You know, nobody <laughs> says that, right? Um, sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's such a bold thing to say, too. Such a bold thing to say, and for a woman who is from the village. Where, you know, nobody's asking women what they think of it in a village, in village mm-hmm. India, you know, uh, just kind of blew me away. And, and so not only it was, it was the, the person asking the question, but the question itself, the combination was just like, just kind of like bowled me over. I had no idea what to say. And like, let's, um, uh, let's go get some ice cream. Yeah. So basically what I think, I think I said, yeah, like, let's, okay, let's talk about this over ice cream. And <laughs> you know, so then a few weeks after that, I said, you know, I really, I'd started to really get to know her and she's getting to know me. And, um, this is, you know, maybe April and I left in June and I said something like, can we, can we maybe make this more than a friendship? Are you interested in, you know, pursuing something like that? And, Something I don't remember, I don't remember exactly what it is what I said, but that's the gist. Yeah, the gist. And she said, "Well, you know, I need some time. I'm, I'm going back to the field for a week. Let me think on it for a week." And uh-huh. so I said, "Okay, fine." You know, I also knew, like in my head, like 
what am I, what am I saying? Like I'm leaving this country in two months. Like am I, is this? So in your head, you're like, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) This is crazy, but it feels right. You know, like it just feels like it's the right thing. Uh Everything else be damned. And a lot needs to be damned logistically at this point, you know, like, but, uh, you know, well, screw so, it, man, you showed up to India with like a bag yeah, and a well, dream. Right, sure. <laughs> and then, uh, so she's like, yeah, you know, give me a week. And I said, fine. So we didn't talk up until that point. We had been talking, you know, almost every night, all yeah. day at work, you was know, like nerve wracking. Was that a nerve wracking week for you? Yeah. So it was sure. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I was too forward and you know, I did it very American, right? You know, like let's make this, let's make, you know, let's, let's define this relationship and you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So finally, uh, yes, we, we didn't talk that week and she comes back and, and I said, you know, let's go ice cream again. And and we, and I said, so what do you, what, what do you think? And, uh, she's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's try. Let's see, let's see what happens. And I, I don't know that I was expecting her to say that. I think I was expecting her to say, like, yeah, no, sorry, America. This is a bad idea. It's not going to happen. And then uh, it kind of snowballed from there. So then, sure. I, you know, I had told my parents about this woman and, and, you know, how she was really great. And they said, you know, we'd love to meet her over Skype. If nothing else goes, if, if it goes no further, like, she's really impacting your life and we would love to just, you know, talk to her or whatever. So... We have the conversation. It's like, oh, by the way, my parents want to talk to you. She's like, yeah, that sounds great. So we end up calling my parents over Skype video, and we talk for like an hour. My mom and her are crying at one point. Wow. There's just like all these bonds going on. <laughs> and uh, pretty sure we called them in the morning our time. So it was a night there. And so yeah. my dad emailed me. I want to say the, that – like literally within a few hours and basically the gist of his email was like i if you don't marry this woman you're crazy <laughs> over a one hour skype video that was, but, the, and, that was and, the all, and all i had been telling him about her and and you know yeah, yeah and uh and so i was already thinking like you know go big or go home uh kind of thing like we're gonna make this work let's like really try this uh-huh and that, you know, my dad's one of my best friends. And so if, you know, he knows me, he knows what I want, you know, and knows I think, and he's a smart dude. And so, and he's, he's incredibly emotionally intelligent, just like Sasmita and my mom. And so if they're kind of giving the green light to you know pursue this, and I'm already thinking like I should pursue this, then I'm pursuing this. So this um, is like your first like relationship with like uh, culturally, a, a truly Indian like culturally Indian. Oh yeah, woman. yeah, yeah, for sure. And she always described her described me to her family and as like he's Indian, he's just raised in America, <laughs> and, and kind of never really said that like he's essentially an American with brown skin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they didn't. I don't know that they knew that. But they got that picture eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, sure, right. <laughs> you know, they got it immediately when they realized, like, I couldn't talk to them in any language other than English. <laughs> yes. Um, and they couldn't actually communicate with me because I didn't know English. Oh, no. Uh, and so her so dad... she's still your translator. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, yeah, so she still is. So, anyway, she was uh, 27 at the time, and she, you know, passed 
quote unquote marriageable age in India by you know five years at that point. And so her parents are freaking out. Her yeah. dad's feeling like ten marriage proposals a week for her. Oh god. And she she had always said, you know, look, I'm not marrying I'm not having an arranged marriage. Like I'm marrying for love. Mm. And um one of my favorite stories about her is when she was so she went to the con she was in a convent for two years when she was a teenager. Like a like a like a nun yes. convent? Yes, like a nun like a convent convent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's kind of a thing in India. It's a status thing because it's where you learn English. Oh, okay. So that's where she learned English. And she was there for two years and she left when she was sixteen. And on her way back from her train station her sister had picked her up. She's one of uh, five sisters and a brother. Um, one of her sisters picked her up and said something like, "Mom and Dad have the guy have a guy that they want you to marry, and he's coming by the house or something like that." She was sixteen. And she was like, she, "Nope." She's like, "I'm not not I'm not going to do that. I want to finish school." And she's like, "Well, you know, that's great that you say that and all, but uh, you know, <laughs> this is rural India. Like, it's mom and dad, you know." Right. Keep you. You can have that opinion, but I don't think it's going to work, kind of thing. And uh, so she came home, said, "Look, I'm marrying for love. I'm not marrying for anything else." Kind of locked herself in a room for like three days, and then ran away. Wow. Essentially, they just gave up, and uh, she eventually finished school. And then she moved to Delhi on her own, and and so knowing kind of the backstory about her hard headedness and her stubbornness and her like. I'm going to do things my way. Mm-hmm. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what all my other sisters are doing. They're all in an arranged marriages except for one other one that isn't married at all. Uh, I'm going to do things the way I want to do them, which is just completely unheard of. Yeah, so you like hit the lotto then. So, yeah, so then, you know, knowing that backstory, then for her to say to me, I read your blog all night. <laughs> I think you need me in your life. Okay, now it makes a little more sense. Like, I'm used to speaking my mind. I'm used to saying what I believe. I don't really care what other people think about what I say. Uh, This is how I've been for my whole life. Yeah, so she's been, like, audacious her whole life then. That's just her personality. Yeah, teaching herself languages. You know, uh, she was in Delhi and... She was living with a a former um, uh, like a school teacher who was then a professor at like Delhi University, and she would sneak out of the of the hostel at night, and she would take computer classes to learn how to like turn on a computer and like open up a browser, and it's just wow. like yeah, I mean it's amazing. And so she was a, a huge sponge. So she eventually told her dad about me, and he said sure, you know, this is what you want to do. He sounds great. As long as he loves you, that's what matters to me. And, you know, he treats you well. And and so I Skyped with him. He speaks English. I Skyped with him once in India. And then I left in, I left in June. And we talked over Skype for a year. And then she came to the United States on a K-1 fiancé visa July of 2012. So when did you, did you propose to her over Skype? Yeah, so... I didn't really ever propose uh, <laughs> before she got here. I never gave her a ring until she was here. Mm-hmm. But we got married four weeks after she got here. So I gave her a ring like two weeks before like we actually got married. But just, you know, I don't know. Like I, The thing was, 
I was not in a high paying job, but I was in a job that was just kind of giving me financial stability. It was an expensive process to get her here. All right, that paperwork yeah. is not cheap. No. You know, it's priceless, whatever, but I didn't have money to go back in between. Yeah. She could never come. She was never going to be able to get here on a tourist visa mm-hmm. because she was a single woman that wasn't married, that didn't have any money. The American government would be like, and so you're going to go back to India to what again? Uh, and so I was like, let's not even bother. Like, let's just try and get you here on like a fiance visa and then we'll make it all legal. We'll marry here and then you get on a green card and you know, we build a life here. The, the, the earliest plan was that I was going to go actually move back to India. She was going to go do a master's in social work. I was going to figure it out, work for another NGO or something. Then realized, well, my Hindi still sucks. It has not gotten any better. <laughs> She's gotten a thousand times better. My Hindi is still terrible. And so then there is therefore a ceiling. There's a limit to what you can do, but not her necessarily. Well, there's this, and there's ceiling to what I can do, but more importantly, the ceiling to how much I can get paid. Mm-hmm. And I've got loans in American dollars. <laughs> and so um, she wasn't going to work. So I was like, well, I don't know that this is going to, this is not going to work. So, right, yeah. And we, we had always said, you know, we don't want to raise our kids there because she, you know, she grew up there. She knows what raising a chil- children like is in India. And she's like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. So the, the original plan was to, you know, go back for a few years and then come back here when the children are young and have them in school here. So, so uh, what do you think about Audible? Uh, you um, come here, we just build a life here immediately. <laughs> And um, she went back to the family and said, like, this is what I want to do. I love him. We love each other. We're going to do this. And boom. So she came July 2012. We got married August 2012. And it's been been kind of whirlwind ever since. Um, But, you know, she just had never, you know, she'd never seen snow before, you know, Mm -hmm. these kind of things. And she, it was one of the, most beautiful and fun things of course then is seeing the world through her eyes and seeing snow watching her touch snow for the first time at you know 28 years old and i'm like that's ah, it's snow it's annoying <laughs> and she's like a little kid about it's it like you fascinated know? yeah fascinated you know sticking her tongue out and catching the snowflakes and stuff it's just like it's just really cool to uh, to see those things that you've kind of taken for granted, you've grown up with, that you don't even think about at all. And she's experiencing it all for the first time. And, it, you know, just I have so many – I've written down so many things. I eventually hope to write a book about my life and this experience and our children and all of this that I'm going to put in there. But so many anecdotes of, of just the little cultural things. Like she thought our first – our first um, 4th of July, this is a great story, uh, we woke up and she says to me, you know, um, AJ, I'm not going to celebrate your Independence Day today. And I was like, I said, well, fine, that's fine, hon. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make you celebrate, you know, the 4th of July, whatever. And, uh, but I said, you know, you do know who we have independence from, right? And she looks at me and- <laughs> she looks we were at me also and, a colony once she she looks at me and she goes russia <laughs> and i was like uh no nope, no not russia i was like actually we were under great britain just like you guys and her eyes like get huge and gets this huge grin on her face and she goes you were under the britishers and i was like yes and she's like oh we're definitely gonna celebrate and i was like <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, awesome. And um, now she's super yeah, American. Yeah, like just now totally buying in. So it's just so many stories like that that just have made being married to her so fun and just teaching me so much. One of the things is growing up where she did, you know, there is no concept of free time. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked her shortly after we got married, like, what do you like to do for fun? She like, couldn't answer the question. And I was like, what? Like, do you read? She's like, well, you know, I knit. It's like, okay. But she's like, you know, I didn't have, I only did that in the convent. Like at home, I wake up at five, I cook breakfast, then I clean, then we cook lunch, then I, you know, maybe nap, then we clean more, and then I cook dinner. And then there's no electricity, so there's no light. And so eight o'clock, like we go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, or we talk in the dark, you know, for two hours, but we just talk, you know, there's no TV, whatever. So getting, like getting my head around that idea that she, you know, so, so many of us, we grew up in the West with time to just like come up with opinions about things and just think about, we just do stuff when we're not doing stuff, you know? And she just didn't. And so um, trying to understand that and, and help her help her try and figure out what she wanted to do. Mm. You know, you, uh, you're in America now. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, nobody's <laughs> going to tell you that you can't do it, right? Yeah. You're incredibly bright. You've taught yourself six, you know, six different languages. If you want to do that. If you want to do that here, do that here. And so you want to be, you want to sew, you know, go to a sewing shop, buy materials, get into it, meet other people, you know, whatever you want to do. And so watching her kind of blossom into her own person in a way has also been something really beautiful and fun to, fun to see. Yeah. So. Well, that's uh, awesome, man. Yeah. Then, so you, you're saying you want to write a book. You got your blog going on right now, though. I do, yeah. So I started blogging like, oh, 08 or 09. Is this a continuation of the same blog that you were writing back when you were in yeah. India, too? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I try and, I try and get up a piece about once a month. I probably should do more. Well, I know I should do more, but I, uh, it's, it's hard. And my pieces are not short. They're always like three, four pages. Nice long reads. They're nice long reads. And, uh, but you know, they're about all sorts of different things about my marriage, about, um, you know, my, the adoption piece and mm-hmm. my family and the, the issues of, of being a transracial adoptee and all of those kind of stuff. So it's been cathartic. It's been, uh, it's been cool to, to introduce other people to my story and to have other people appreciate my Indianness in a way that I never would have imagined would have happened. I, it's funny because now I'm the portal to India to my friends, right? They come to SASB and I, and they're like, oh, you know, we're going to an Indian restaurant. Like, what should we get there? And I'm like, you're asking me, like, this is awesome. Like, finally, somebody's like, yeah, he's Indian. Like, he can tell us what's going on. Whereas, you know, for most of my life, no one would ever think of me as that. And so sure. we're, we're building our own Indian community, essentially, you know? Yeah, that's she's, awesome. She's not necessarily a part of the Indian American community here either. Um, cause she has, you know, much darker skin and she's, you know, not educated in a, she's not a Western Indian girl, you know? Right, and right. so the Indians here for the most part, pretty wealthy, well-educated mm. and that's not her. And so she doesn't fit in with them either. They don't know what to do with her necessarily. 
just like me. So we make our own Indian culture. And yeah, well, from what you told me, it doesn't seem like she's the type of person who would be like put off by that. She no, just no, does she, her own thing. No, definitely not. She's used to it at this point. I mean, definitely. yeah. And how? And you're a new father. It looks like I am a new father. So my my child was my daughter Sonali was born May 26th. So she's like 10 weeks old now. Wow. Almost smiling. <laughs> um, Congrats, man. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it's, it's um, you know, and this, of course, brings up a lot of things too, right? This is, the, this is my first biological connection in 37 years. Yeah. And so she has kind of my, she has my long fingers. I'm a piano player, so she has, you know, my long fingers, long toes, you know, she's a combination of both of us, obviously, but I have no idea who I am, you right. know, what my roots look like. And so it'll be interesting to see you know, how tall she is and her body type and her hair color and her skin color and all that eventually. And yeah, so she really wants to get her back to India to, you know, meet the in-laws and everything like that. Sure. And, um, I, I'm just not, one, we don't quite have the money and two... I don't want to send my three-month-old to India. <laughs> Maybe wait a little while. Yeah, she's got. I mean, she she's got a cold right now, and it's like practically killing her. Like, oh no, can't to rural India. Like, yeah. Sure. But so eventually we're going to do that. But you know, one of the things that's hard for Sasmi is that she's used to the idea that you know a woman has child, and there's like ten people that surround her mm-hmm. all the time, and so essentially, like, I'm supposed to be ten. 10 village women <laughs> and uh how's that and, going for you yeah yeah right it's not so uh i'm a, a clueless male that's kind of what i am um but she's talking to her family a lot more now and they're you know, they're asking her questions and they and they they want to know why she doesn't have an american name oh no. really yeah and uh i was like why would i give my daughter an american name when my wife and i are both indian like yeah, it doesn't it didn't make sense to me. So it's a beautiful thing. I'm excited, and she's she's over the moon about it. And uh, she's incredible with children in general already. So she's awesome. a great mother. Yeah, man. Well, congratulations. Yeah, it sounds thanks. Fantastic, and yeah. I'm uh, happy for you that you basically found this amazing woman, and you have a great child with her. Yeah. Eventually, you'll all go meet the in laws again. Yeah. Right. Out in India. So where yeah. can people find uh, your blog online? So it's at uh, worldcitizensblog.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm also on Twitter, at AdoptedCarolite. How do you K-E-R- spell that? K-E-R-A-L-I-T-E. Okay. So people can follow you there. And uh, what, generally, what do you tweet about? I tweet, I tweet about India, of course, adoption, of course, foreign policy, um, conflict resolution, Afghanistan, actually, I spent all of last summer there for work. So I kind of adopted the Afghans people. I have a bunch of friends there. And I just kind of have this affinity for that nation now. Uh, And they love India, which I didn't realize until I got there. Yes. Well, Uh, yes. (laughs) And that's because of the Pakistan thing. Pretty much. (laughs) Also didn't realize the enemy of of my enemy is my friend. And Mm -hmm. so... uh, so they were super psyched when they found out I was from India and, you know, they were like, oh, what Bollywood movies do you watch and, you know, all these things. And so I tweet a lot about Afghanistan and what's going on there and just random funny news uh, news stuff that I find. 
Cool, man. I'd like to say it's a pretty interesting, uh, I tweet about pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, this was definitely an interesting conversation. Yeah. And uh, I had a good time talking to you, and it was just amazing to hear your story and uh, how you grew up and going back to India and your experiences. And, of course, it was wonderful to hear about your lovely wife. Yeah. Thanks, man. Great. All right, man. Well, thanks for talking. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Bye. Right, and that was my episode with A.J. Bryant. He's got some great stories, doesn't he? Really great guy. Uh, beautiful stories about his wife and his wife's experience and his experience with his wife in America. Uh, happy to have her here again to, to really bring more people into this country and build upon the quilt that is America. God, that sounds so cheesy. Did that sound cheesy? That sounded really cheesy. That's okay. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's cool. It's cool. I'm really talking to myself more than you, but don't worry about it. Anyways... You guys have a good week this week, all right? Have a great week. Uh, music today provided by the Bell and Needle Drop Records, as well as a collective effort. You can find them on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com. Uh, if you're listening to this, you already know where to find the podcast, but it is on iTunes and Google Play and hosted by Podbean. So on iTunes especially, I would really appreciate it if you guys rated the show, left a nice review, and uh, said something nice. It really helps us out. Uh, you can always email me at therambleradhd at gmail.com. You can tweet me. I'm on Twitter at therambleradhd or find me on Facebook. You can like my page. That'd be appreciated as well at therambler, or I'm sorry, facebook.com slash therambleradhd. Tell your friends. Tell your friends if you like the show. Okay? Again, sorry about the very, you know, um, I guess Debbie Downer type intro, which I, I don't know. It's happened a lot this year, unfortunately, for 2016. But it's important. It's important to reflect and remember. All right? Uh, if you want to be a guest on the show or anything, just get in contact with me on any of those platforms that I mentioned earlier. And I will be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. That sounded a little bit like an answering machine, but it's true. I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can, and uh, we'll work it out. We'll work out a schedule. Uh, Again, share with friends and family if you think that they'll be interested. Uh, I hope for all of you people who are starting school, uh, good luck. (laughs) Good luck out there. I know it's hard, but you'll get through it. Remember, it's not the end of the world, even if you take uh, five years, which is I think is the norm now, five-year college. Or, or high school, uh, maybe not five years, but, you know, I know it's tough out there, too. Stay strong, kids. You stay strong, all right, in any school that you're in. It's tough out there. If you're an adult, uh, sorry, you know, adulting is hard. Adulting is difficult, too. If you're a kid, uh, prepare yourself for adulting because eventually, you know, add whatever work you think you have now plus bills, all right? It <laughs> doesn't get easier. Uh, or maybe it does for, in some aspects. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but that's kind of the title of the show, so that's something you should come to expect. In any case, you guys have a great week, and I will talk to you next week when I have my guest on the show, uh, Sarah Eldred. Went up to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, talked to Sarah Eldred. She's uh, doing a show up there for NPR. Not NPR, but NPR, the Minnesota Public Radio. And you should be excited, because she's also going to be doing a show in the very near future about... Korean adoptees, and that is going to be on NPR up there in Minnesota. Uh, So you have that to look forward to uh, next week, my interview with her, and then she also interviewed me while I was up there. I think that's going to be sometime in October. I don't know. She'll give me the details. She'll give me the deets, and then I'll pass those on to you. Until then, you guys have a great week, and I will talk to you next week. Adios.